Hey there, welcome to the stream, folks. It's the Football Outsiders live, live stream. Hi. Uh, I loved our new countdown today, by the way, in New York Jets font. Did anyone notice? Yeah. I believe that's the New York Jets font. I like that font. I like the New York Jets uniforms, so I'm very yeah. happy about that. Uh, <laughs> welcome to Football Outsiders live, streaming on all your favorite services, Twitter, uh, Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, we are now streaming everywhere, 1 p.m. Eastern, every weekday. We do this, talking about football. Uh, welcome to uh, my guests. Mike Tanier is here, as always, for Wednesday's little Ask Me Anything shows. Uh, Rivers McCown is our other guest today. Hello, Rivers. How are you? Doing well. My cat is doing well as well, as you can yes. see in the background. Yeah, always. Guys, I have the animals in the background. We, we have a bunny now. And it's somewhere upstairs, probably tearing up the house. Nice. My dog tried to kill the exterminator earlier today, so she is banned from the room. <laughs> <laughs> we are fostering a bunny, but I don't know if uh -huh. we're going to get rid of the bunny. The idea was that this was going to be temporary, but it's lasted like five weeks. So so are you socializing the bu bunny towards humans? We're trying to socialize the bunny towards humans. Yes. And podcasts as well. And podcasts. Well, she's upstairs now, so she's not okay. listening to the podcast. I don't want her tearing around the room down here. That'd not be good. Uh, <laughs> you, know, so just, today, you just have like a loop running of, of podcasts in that room? <laughs> what'd you say? You can have like a pod, a loop of podcasts running for the, for the bunny at all times? Yes, just get rid of, just we'll just run Serial and then the Football Outsiders podcasts. And, right. <laughs> you know, true crime. And yeah, a lot of true, true crime bunny. Yes, that's what get we Get the bunny used to everything. <laughs> so today is the Ask Me Anything show. We already got some good questions through uh, Twitter and Instagram, but you can ask questions. I mean, this is the best reason to watch the live streams live at one o'clock every day is you can ask questions live. Uh, so we've got some questions that were posed before the show. We'll have some questions live. And don't forget also to subscribe on your favorite service so you know when we're broadcasting. Again, it's usually 1 p.m. Eastern uh, weekdays. Uh, so we'll start with, I mean, the biggest story of the last few days is, is a big duh. So we'll start with this question, which is, uh, Andre de Silvera Stein asked, will there ever be a reckoning of the NFL and all its racism? Wow. And here's the thing I think about this is, um, is there ever going to be a reckoning of society and all its racism? Like the one the thing about this question, and I guess about the Gruden story, is I don't want to pick out the NFL as if it's somewhat like got a different problem than society in general. In fact, my guess is that this is a smaller problem in the NFL than it is in society in general because you have more uh, African-American, I mean, not enough African-Americans right. in places of power, but mm -hmm. more than in society in general, like, you know, ratio-wise. Right. Uh, but I, I mean, this is something that society has to deal with, and I don't think the NFL is going to deal with it on its own any faster than society is going to. Yeah. For years when I've been covering these stories, going back to the Ray Rice story, uh, when I was covering that for Bleacher Report and some of these other things, I, I, I had a saying, the NFL makes a bad government and a worse religion. I expect the NFL to be better than the government and better than our religions on topics like race, sex, homophobia, trans issues, things like that. 
we're probably asking more of the NFL than we should that we should be asking what we can do for the institutions we have power over to do that. That said, in this particular case, NFL or the the team or the league or however it led to John Gruden's resignation, it was swift, unbelievably swift. We were not talking about this last week. This broke on Friday. No, this was very fast. It was decisive. As another example of you know action was taken. We could find emails like that about a senator, and that senator could win the election in a month and still be here 26 years from now. They could say some of the things John Gruden said on the record and still be out there and still dictating policy. There are reverends saying things that are similar to that on pulpits everywhere, and people still put money in the collection plate. So I would love the NFL to have a reckoning, but like you said, Aaron, I think there's a reckoning everywhere on all these topics that we we all have to, that we're all waiting for, I suppose. Yeah, I guess Jim Trotter put it best because he was he, he's on the NFL Network and he kind of talked about how yeah. the, the leadership gap still really matters for this sort of thing because, yes, you have you have a primarily white uh, ownership, you have a primarily white uh, coaching staffs, so you have mm-hmm. primarily white uh, management, and without that sort of thing, you know this this just kind of festers on its own. And yeah, as Mike said, this this is a reckoning that goes way way beyond just the NFL, but. When you know eighty percent of your players are African American, that, that it, it kind of does fall here first, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Not to mention the incredibly awkward situation after this came out of John Gruden coaching the first openly gay player in the league. Yes. Yes. Um, I mean, give Gruden this: if he's got feelings against homosexuals, it did not change the way he did his defensive line rotation. Right. <laughs> Right. That's the truth. Right. It's, but I mean, I, it's almost like I knew teachers in the classroom who had all who would say stuff like this in the teacher's lounge. You, you walk out there and you do your job. The problem is not necessarily that you're going to take a job opportunity away from somebody. It's what the biases are that are working in the background, you know, that lead to the next decision being made and not the best decision to be made from a football standpoint or from a societal standpoint. We were chatting a little bit amongst ourselves before we went on air here about uh, the no politics rule at football outsiders and the difficulty that this story presents. Like for those people who are watching, who are wondering, well, what about the football outsiders, no politics rule? Like the no politics rule was started because like back in 2004, in our very early days, we would be discussing some team's defense or Michael Vick or something. And then all of a sudden, like, it would turn into a discussion of Bush versus Carroll. Like little did we know what would happen to Michael Vick down the line, but you know, those things would turn into discussions of Bush versus Kerry. And I was like, no, no, we're not having this, but this is a football story. Like it's a political story, but it's a football story. And also I don't like the idea that firing someone because they use slurs is political right? because it's, it's, um, it's not like he was fired for his like opinions on tax policy. Right. right. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's, how you, that's how you say everything is politicized. So if you accuse me of being ra- racist, if I go do a racist rant and you say, you shouldn't say that because it's racist, you're being political. That doesn't work. That's just, that's just going behind a duck blind. That's, that's using cover to, 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 you know, to not be, a, to not be a good citizen. And that's uh, one of the problems with a lot of these things. So it's like, are we not supposed to call out anything racial or anything homophobic and things like that? I, I don't think I don't think that's what you intend. Obviously, you let me no. write, so it's not what you, we intend. Um, you know, and and some people are hostile about it on the message board, but some people are hostile about this across society here. So you know, I, I guess I can't speak to the idea that well, it was a private email 
These are private emails. Therefore, he's allowed to think these things and express these things with other people in leadership. But we're supposed it's to. Like he's allowed to think these things. You're allowed it's to think expressing them. It's it, the problem is that he represents the Raiders. Yes. Right. So yeah. does he have the right to say what he wants to say in emails? Absolutely. In private emails, you can say whatever you want to say. Right. Does the organization, the Las Vegas Raiders, want that to be representing them? I mean, Tampa right. Bay doesn't want it to be representing them enough to the point where they announced they're taking right. Gruden out of their ring of honor. And it's not like he's their current head coach. So, mm -hmm. I mean, if you're the Raiders, you're like this. All of a sudden, your head coach was was toxic and nuclear and you just had to. Yeah. You had to get away from it. I mean, right. it's, you know, uh, right. um. Right. An interesting question, by the way, Nathan Wingo said, after the Gruden debacle, what are your thoughts on Marquise King? Was it Marquise King, the name Marquise of the punter? King. And his release, the punter who was released. I don't remember. Do you remember what the circumstances were around that release? No. Um, and I would hate to start going in line item vetoing John Gruden's uh, maneuvers based on this. Again, you said Carl Nassib has been starting and playing well, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, I, I remember King being kind of demonstrative on social networking and things like that. And I could picture John Gruden in a, superimposed on top of anything else he thinks, saying, I don't need a punter who's on Instagram and, and you know, going in another direction there. So, you know, I, I, the last thing I, I think is worthwhile at this point is like, oh, and Gruden made this move, that move, that move because of his political opinions. Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you. I don't want to try to go back into his old moves and try to figure out what. Because again, yeah. I mean, I this is what I said on Twitter the night that this all went down Monday night. He's not the only head coach in the NFL or executive or even right. play, uh, players who have positions, you know, who have beliefs like this about race or about sexuality. Right. Like, this is not, you know, having John Gruden resign is not going to suddenly like. Uh, yeah. create tolerance for everybody <laughs> about everything. Right. Uh, you know, right. there's still work to do in society. There's still work to do um, about, about, about this. I mean, this, you know, it's <laughs> we're fine. so far off of our comfort zone, even talking about it. Yeah, it, we really are. Um, right. Speaking of this, by the way, Stephen X cool just asked in the chat, since this news is coming out, would any of you send a full article to a source so they could edit? Oh, gosh. Okay. Well, there are... Go ahead. You go first. I was going to say, just to defend Schefter a little bit, there yeah. is a difference. I don't know what he was doing here, but there is a difference between sending a full article to a source so they can edit it for you right. and sending an article to a source and saying, did I get anything wrong in here? Right. I definitely, I definitely read Mr. Editor is very sarcastic in that comment. <laughs> <laughs> but is it like, okay, you've quashed something in here before. I know you're going to find it again. And yeah, this is just kind of how it works in, in the big media world where, you know, you're talking about the, these guys who are very sensitive about how they're perceived. And that's always going to be a factor in every story that gets put out by a guy like Shafter, a guy like Rappaport, somebody who does a lot of... Uh, source digging and yeah i mean i'm not surprised to see it at all i don't even think it's that bad i uh i've sent things i i see people strutting around twitter right now as kings of all journalism ethics saying i've never done this i've sent things like if i'm writing a profile of a rookie 
that is pretty much a soft profile. I will send it to their representation to have a look at. And it's kind of what you said, Aaron, to make sure I got things right, that I made sure that, you know, they were born and raised in Honduras and not Barbados and other mistakes like that, uh, you know, misrepresenting something along the way. That's different from saying I'm doing an expose on Washington, but let me make sure Bruce right. Allen checks it off. And, I, and Shifter does not do investigative reports. OK, so I, I there, is, there are obviously lines there and gradients of that uh, things, but this happens all the time. And sometimes to protect my to, well, not so much. Yeah, to protect myself, to say, look, agent, I want to get future sources from you in the future. I want you to look at this, and make sure I didn't make a glaring error or in something that I think is supposed to be a positive piece, say something that's going to be inappropriate to this person. I've done it. And I think a lot of people do it, too. Uh, Nathan Greenwald asks, do any of you care to compare and contrast Gruden's treatment with that of Deshaun Jackson, who posted hateful stuff in public and received no sanction of any kind? Yeah, let's go through every person who's ever said anything ever and line them up. And if we find anybody who wasn't fired, then it's not fair to fire. I'm sorry, by the way, Nathan, I don't think you're saying that. I want to stop right there. No, down. no, it's tough. It's, part of it, I think, is the idea of... Um, the head coach as the image of the team. Right. Right. Like um, Deshaun Jackson is a player and he said some stuff. And I mean, there was Riley Cooper, right? There was an incident with Riley Cooper a few years ago and players have done things like this, but the head coach represents your right. team. Right. In fact, I'd also say what happened with Deshaun Jackson would have been different if Deshaun Jackson was a quarterback. I agree. Because yes. the quarterback is also the image of your team. Right. And the head coach, the head coach, the quarterback, and the owner, those are the three people who most define your team, and you do not want them to be toxic in the public sphere. And one person has decision-making power and the other one doesn't. So if a person with decision-making power is racist, sexist, homophobic, that can create a massive bias incident. Whereas if you're just the employee – while these things are bad, and maybe it did deserve, I don't remember exactly everything Jackson said. Maybe it probably deserves some kind of sanction or things like that. When you're just the employee, very different. He said some anti-Semitic stuff, if I remember okay. correctly. Okay, okay, right. Um, and, you know, given some of the uh, uh, conspiracy theories that go around the web, he yep. can't be the only player who believes that stuff either. Like, let's right. be, you know, perfectly honest. And I remember, you know, Julian Edelman came out and said, you know, let me try to educate you about this stuff. And, right. and um, that was how it was dealt with. Like it wasn't, he wasn't, he didn't lose his job. He, but again, he's not the image of the team the way Gruden is. Uh, and he's not in a, he's not a decision maker the way Gruden is. Yes. There's a thing called restorative justice. And those of us in the education field are kind of down with it. And it's the idea that the solution to everything isn't firing, isn't expelling, isn't suspending kids, et cetera, et cetera. So you do restorative justice in a way where it's like you can take somebody like Jackson, like, yeah, you have to go to seminars. You have to do things like that. Now, how do you do that with somebody who has the keys to an entire franchise? There has to be mixed in with that some kind of disciplinary action. And in this case, a disciplinary action came directly from his employer who didn't want to be, who didn't want to be represented in this way. So take this to a football point of view for a second. I wanted to talk about this from a football perspective. Um, obviously, this is bad for the Raiders from a PR perspective. They look terrible for employing Gruden all this time. But 
from a football perspective, is this maybe secretly good? <laughs> well, I mean, like, let's judge John Gruden not not for what he said in those those emails or for his personality, but let's judge him as a, a, a man building a football franchise. It hasn't worked. Like, it's the Vegas right. did not... They it's been four years or whatever, and they're not. I mean, they may be three and two right now, but they're like twenty fifth in DVOA. I don't think anyone takes them really seriously as a playoff contender. Right. Like that's besides the fact of what's going to happen to them after this. I have no idea what the psychological ramifications of this are for players, and I know nothing about Basucci, who's the new interim head coach. But um, this kind of got them out of the ten year contract. Yeah, like. Like now they have a chance next year to go out and get themselves a hot, young, smart, Brandon Staley-like, Sean McVay-like. Or Brian Dayball. Or Brian Dayball or Eric Bieniemy. Yeah. Like, like um, <laughs> could this secretly be good for the Raiders in the long run? Wherever your cat ran away when we started talking about race. <laughs> I'm not going to say anything about that. <laughs> Cats are smarter than people. Cat said, "I'm out of this podcast." Uh, let's see. Okay, so we're talking about talking about if it's a good thing for the Raiders going forward. Um, I, I don't know. It's, it's it's very early to say that. And also, having just gone through a head coach search as a fan of my team, the Texans, uh, just because you make a change doesn't mean that ownership and the people in charge are suddenly going to hire somebody smart. There's, <laughs> there, there, there's definitely a lot of uh, cognitive dissonance around what people want, uh, what they want football to look like, that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, what they want the culture to look like. And so, yeah, it is an opportunity. I, I definitely put it that way. It's an opportunity to do better, but <laughs> do we, do we trust uh, Mark Davis to do that? I don't know. I have no idea. I've never seen him lead a coaching search other than hiring Gruden, who was just yeah. a guy that he knew already. Yeah, and that's a good point, that they, they got there by just grabbing. He's famous. I know him. Uh, so let's go with that. And, and yeah, I think in the long, long run, this is good because what we were anticipating was probably two more years of fiddling around and, oh, I'm I'm feuding with Mayock. I'll get rid of Mayock. I'm feuding with a coordinator. I'm a coordinator. And they would have hung around and would have been a nine and eight team in their best seasons. And now you can move forward. There's nobody right now in that organization where it's like, this is the guy who takes over and like leads them. So right now they got the special teams coach who I'm not familiar with at all running things. Uh, Olsen is a, is a coordinator. And I think he's kind of like a factotum underneath Gruden. Yeah. But, Gus Bradley. I don't think anyone wants to give Gus Bradley another head coaching uh, job. They pointed out on ESPN on Monday night, the special teams coordinator makes a lot of sense as the interim head coach because mm -hmm. he knows everybody on the team. Right. That doesn't mean he's going to get some kind of permanent job. Exactly. And he's there so that the other guys can run their game plans and they don't have to take over extra responsibilities, which is fine. So starting over, I guess, makes sense in the long run. So you're not starting over in 2024 with less or whatever, but it's it's grades of bad. You know, it's, it's, it's terrible as opposed to, you know, terrible in a slightly less desperate and dramatic way. I was uh, just going to say, uh, gonna say uh, oh. the last time that something like this happened in season, I think, was the, the Bullygate Dolphins. And that yes. was Joe Philbin. Yeah. And that led to, I believe, Adam Gase. So 
you know, because you change it up, it means you got to get something good. <laughs> uh, Ryan Krinigan says, where do we think Mike Mayock lands in all of this? It's hard to believe that Gruden hasn't meddled in plenty of personnel decisions. Oh, Gruden had Gruden had personnel control. Yeah. Like, it, it, you know, much like in Seattle, John Schneider is there to do the work, but Pete Carroll has the final say, or in New England, Bill Belichick has people, like when it was Nick Casario, you know, did the work, but Belichick had the final say. Right. Gruden had the final say. So right. I think actually Mayock now has more power. This is now Mayock's roster to run. And I would think that they're more likely to keep Mayock on for another year or two and try to have some continuity than completely do a total reset in the offseason. Yeah. And that's, I think for this year, Mayock will be safe because of that continuity element of things. And then we'll see next year because inevitably the coaching search, the person coming in to save the franchise from this debacle will want control. Yeah, that's how it goes, yeah. <laughs> Trexel says, have you heard rumors on Urban Meyer and Coach Oregon from LSU uh, getting fired and then Urban taking over the LSU job? Could be bogus, but I've seen it a lot on Twitter recently. Not my, not my, Rumor field. I mean, college rumors are not my rumor field. I, I, I know LSU is struggling this year. I think this is a guy who they won the championship like two years ago. That would be a that would be a really quick hook to have one mediocre yeah. year and be like, you're gone. Yeah. Um, right. But I think we all agree that Urban Meyer is not long for the NFL. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> that much is obvious. You can't you can't be. You can't you can't lose twenty games in a row. I'm sorry, that's just not something that you can do. But also, it just seems he, he all the reports about him basically losing the locker room, mm -hmm. and then the comments he constantly makes these comments that show that he does not understand the difference between the NFL game and the college game. The latest being the one about wanting 250 yards rushing a game. This is not Ohio State. That does not happen. And he never did it at Ohio State. And he never did it at Florida with Tebow and, and things like that. Yeah. So do you guys think he makes it past if they lose on Saturday? Do you think he makes it out of London with his job? It would be such a declaration of failure by Shad Khan to fire this guy before the year even ends. You made such a big deal about bringing him in. I feel like for saving face – you have to make it through the year. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna go the opposite of you. I think I think they have to fire him if they lose. And actually, even if they win, maybe because uh, you finally have some time with that bye week to just reorganize, think about things. It's not hitting. It's not new, new news hitting you every day. And then you can kind of sit back and be like, okay, this guy has lost the locker room. This guy is. This guy's not qualified to be an NFL head coach. We got to move on. And then you can find your next guy next year. I mean, do you think they come out and say, you know, we took a gamble, we made an experiment, it, it didn't work, we're moving on? Shot knew him knew him from his uh, Illinois days, you know, just just thought it was a great coach, that's all. And, and yeah, yeah, no, it, it'll be something like that. Right. Or you ask him to come up with some kind of resignation story. That's another possibility. But I don't know, because despite his willingness to resign from other jobs, this is a declaration of failure. It's hard to spin this. Like, ah, I'm not feeling good. I don't think he'd want to go that route. Um, Slick, uh, Kyle Lutz wants you to know that Tom Brady sucks, and that is Thanks, all. Kyle. 
Will he shake Hertz's hand after he loses? Uh, I am favoring Tampa Bay on Thursday night. Mm -hmm. uh, nothing against Jalen Hurts as a person. Um, <laughs> Slinksy YT says my prediction is a Bucks and Bills Super Bowl because never bet against Brady. Yeah, and I think the Bills schedule is so incredibly easy the rest of the way. The only two teams in the top half of DVOA that the Bills still have to play mm -hmm. are New Orleans and Tampa Bay. But that Tampa Bay Buffalo game is going to be awesome. It will be, and that's the Super Bowl preview because New Orleans is not that great anyway. But yeah, yeah I mean, I mean they're, they're they're the second best team that's left on Buffalo's schedule, but they're yeah. not Tampa. Right. He's right, though. I mean, I've I've lost a lot of money and dignity, more dignity than money betting against Brady over the last 10 years. So, so I know exactly where he's coming from. Yeah, I think I've said this before on these on one of these live casts. Age is coming for Tom Brady. Yeah, it will happen. The problem is it may not happen till he's 50. Yeah. I mean, I don't know when it will happen. But you're right. And, and and again, it's like, oh, well, 42, this is the year. It was the year. It was the year for Warren Moon or for whoever, you know, in the past. At this point, it's kind of like the outlier is the outlier, and you wait to see what happens. Yeah, I mean, every year it could happen, but I'm not betting on it happening. And I'm not betting on it happening in the middle of this year. He leads the league in passing value by our numbers. Like, that's just – crazy and some of it is because of who his receivers are you know he has great weapons i wrote that piece for espn plus last week where i said this was the second best set of, of teammates that he's ever had on offense mm -hmm. he's got a really good offensive line he's got an incredible trio of receivers he's got gronk or did at least for most of the year like there's no question that because of who his teammates are i don't think i would vote for tom brady right now as the mvp but Numbers-wise, he's leading the league in passing value. Do you vote for the MVP award, Aaron? I don't remember. I do, in fact, yes. <laughs> I, I've made a big deal of this. Uh, Kyle I'm says, very proud of it. Yes. Kyle says he loves the Reggie art behind me. Yes, there's Reggie. That's Reggie right there. I have a hard time pointing. And that's a Jim Starenko underneath him. But thank you very much. I'm glad you like Reggie. The <laughs> oldest player in NFL history is 48. Blanda. What is the over-under on Brady surpassing that? Surpassing as in playing or surpassing as in being good? As playing. Oh, definitely. <laughs> you would go over. Yeah. You, you think, do you think if he had a bad year, he would push through it, though, Rivers? I don't know. That's, it's hard, to, it's hard to, to think about these athletes and their kind of uh, egos and – yeah. what happens when you lose a step and if you're going to fight back. But, I mean, I feel like Brady has kept pushing just so, so much that I find it almost hard to believe that he would quit even here. Right. I mean, he would. I, I got to do my comeback year and have to come back. And that's where you get to that age. I'll show them they were wrong to doubt me. Yeah. Kyle Lutz says Brady will be playing at 63 with false teeth. Okay. Um. Nason Greenwald asked, have we done any work on what qualities new head coaches who succeed have, like a back cast for coaches? Mm -hmm. uh, we've never done that. We looked, we've looked at coordinators from different right. sides of the ball and who's had success, and I don't 
Um, I know that ESPN did some research on this at one point, and they found that like your best coaching candidate was like a guy who'd failed at his first job and then become a highly regarded coordinator. And at the time, they said Marty Mortenweg would have been the best head coaching candidate, and that didn't happen. So, <laughs> um, yeah, because they're it was all probably skewed by Belichick. Yeah, because that would be heavily skewed by Belichick. And right, and if there's Wade one other guy who I can't think of, you, you know, know, Wade Phillips did have success in Dallas in his second yeah, head coaching job. Um, there's too many variables to be able to do that kind of thing. Like, oh, we're going to take a coordinator and take his units DVOA and everything else. There's too many variables. You're yeah. putting so yeah. much garbage into the gumbo that when it's spat out, would be like. You know, hey, the best thing to do is get a Belichick uh, disciple. Oh, well, that doesn't work. So, what next? Well, the, the weird thing about about that is, uh, I feel like the best way, and this is something I learned this year, is I'm just kind of like, you know, the Texans hired a new head coach. I'm looking at all these people's interviews, looking at everything they've done. Just listen to them. Just listen to the coaches. Do they sound smart? <laughs> do they have good things to say? That's why I like Brandon Staley so much. That's working out okay, right? So. <laughs> Just, just listen to them talk. <laughs> here's, here's the problem, Rivers, is that the decision makers love hearing the same jargon parroted back to them. So all the things that we say, oh, God, no, 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 they're saying gimme, gimme, gimme. Same thing happens in industry where somebody walks in and starts spouting off management jargon and they wind up rolling through the ranks. They don't have a creative idea in their, in their heads, but they're just as creative as the guy who, who's hiring them. So... I would be inclined to say, yeah, you can like talk to some of these guys if honestly and openly and figure out if they've got good ideas, if they're smart or they're clever. But that's not what the NFL is going to do. Right. That relies on having uh, management that can actually see that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. that, br that brings actually to before we get to more questions, I did figure we should talk Texans a little bit because we have Rivers on the show. And because, Mike, you covered the Texans today in uh, your walkthrough as sort of like you know, let's look tank watch, like let's look at a bad team and see how bad they are. I had someone suggest to me last week that they felt like Cully was doing a good job because the Texans might have the worst roster in the league and yet they've been competitive in a lot of games. And your take, Mike, was almost the opposite. Like their roster is better than you think, but Cully is not doing a good job. Yeah, the Jets have a worse roster. The Jets definitely have a worse roster. That was actually my first response to this guy who would I think it was a direct message on Twitter. I had actually my first my first reaction was the Jets have a worse roster. Yes, Jets have a worse roster. If we will go around that, the Jaguars might have a worse roster. I don't know about the Falcons. I know Rivers. You know, go get your take in a second. But I'm not like Cully's doing a phenomenal job, but it's not Urban Meyer. It's not this thing where this team goes out there every week and just doesn't give a darn. So, like, from whatever's happening interpersonally with him and with Levy and those guys, the players are running out in the field and throwing a scare into the Patriots and threw a little bit of a scare into the Panthers and all. Uh, it's just that they're, A, not good, and then, B, decision time on fourth down rolls around and all living creation breaks loose. <laughs> oh, everyone is definitely bought in here. I'll, t I'll tell you that much for sure. Um, it's interesting to hear these guys kind of talk and, and uh, you know, after the games always, if you lose, there, there's, oh, what could have been, blah, blah, blah. But these guys are very defiant about, you know, the, the kind of culture that's being created here. And, and they, they just defend it almost in some points. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, they're all bought in still. Don't, don't worry about that. Mm -hmm. But uh, as far as what you're saying about the fourth down thing, they did go for it 
twice early in that game against right. the Patriots. And yes, that's why they, they built that lead. And then all of a sudden got some cold feet there. Did that weird uh, field goal kick 56 yards with a guy who has never hit a 56 yarder in his life. Right. And yeah. And the punt. And the punt, yeah. And the punt, <laughs> the zero yard punt. Fake, not fake, don't, fake, don't, not fake. Don't make me relive the punt, please. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, it, it's one of those things where David Kelly comes from such an old school place as an actual football coach that it's hard for what he does to work in 2021. Yeah. yeah. How long till Tyrod Taylor is back? And do you think they give the job back to Tyrod Taylor when he's healthy again? So they just had a presser about this. Uh, they did say Tyrod's not playing this week. Uh, I feel like his hamstring injury has quietly been worse than reported. Uh, mm -hmm. I can't, I don't really have like, like a source on that, but you can tell in the way they talk about him that it's not, it's all, it's more like, we hope he'll come back soon. Now, like he'll be back soon. Right. So yeah, I, I do think we'll see Davis Mills for at least a couple more weeks. Um, people keep saying this is like a tank team and I don't see it. And nothing in their words or actions shows me that they're tanking. So when Tyrod comes back, I expect he's going to be the quarterback again. Yeah. By the way, I call tank watch tank watch because the word tank trends. It yeah, it's not. We, don't think Houston, we do not think Houston is actually actively right. trying to tank. No, right. no I'm, saying, I'm, not, I'm not even calling it the call. Now. Right. Just, there, there are a lot of people who just respond to me on Twitter like, oh, they, they, they do the fake punt. Tanking is working. And every, like, that's not what they're trying to do. Here. Everybody on Twitter thinks that every team that's not four and one is tanking or should tank. Yeah. No, the Texans wanted to win that game. I mean, yes. <laughs> they wanted they badly to win wanted that game. Right. Um, Kyle Lutz asks, "When are you adding playoffs and USFL DVOA?" I wish that we could do the USFL. I don't think the play-by-play -play logs are out there. No. no. Um. The playoffs is coming soon. Right. I actually reran all playoffs this offseason, and we have a database of it. And we just need to build the um, just need to build the view uh, that will allow you to see what playoff DVOA is. Uh, and it's just not number one on the to do list, but it's going to happen before we get to this year's playoffs, where the team playoff DVOA is going to be on FO plus. So you'll need to be an FO Plus subscriber to see it, but we'll, we'll have the playoff DVOA, I think. That'll be fascinating. I, I think you'll need to be an FO Plus subscriber. I'm not sure, actually. Let's go with yes. But we'll go with yes for now. <laughs> uh, Ryan Crinigan, curious to know how many very good quarterbacks are in the league right now, in your opinion. Mm. It seems like we are on the verge of a new offense-heavy parity in the league with lots of very capable young quarterbacks. Well, you know, offense has been dominating defense for years now, so I don't think it's any kind of a new offense-heavy parity. Like, it's been – you know, I'd have to go – you know, give you an exact number of very good quarterbacks. I'd have to go through the list and be like, this guy is a win-with guy, this guy is a win-because-of guy. Like, but, I mean, yeah, there are a good number of good quarterbacks, and, I mean, I think the youngsters are promising despite the fact that their performance this year has sucked. I will say I've written the – we're on the verge of a quarterback renaissance column three or four times in the last 12 years. I know I, read, I wrote two of them for Bleacher Report a couple of years apart, sourced with GMs and people like that talking about it. And, you know, the young quarterbacks always wind up being Sam Darnold, you know, and et cetera. And then 
it comes back later and it's like, well, we've got our, you know, five elite guys and then like the 10 with 12 with, with, and then you have all these questions. So, I mean, I'm enjoying the NFL right now. I'm enjoying these players. I'm enjoying the youngsters too, but like a lot of these guys are going to fall by the wayside. Sam Darnold again is going to fall by the wayside that is happening as we speak. So, you know, some of these guys who are rising up that you would put on these lists now, two years from now, they're replaced and we still have 15 teams, 12 teams or whatever that need a quarterback. Just looking at the DVOA for, um, and DR uh, page for quarterbacks, which you can find on footballoutsiders.com. Yes, uh, great, great, great website. Uh, Brady, Stafford, Mahomes, Prescott, Kyler, Herbert, Lamar, Rogers, Wilson. And after that, I'm kind of like, we get into like, the air zone. Like, is Jalen Hurts good yet? Right. Is Derek Carr good? Is uh, Kirk Cousins good? Like, those right. sort of guys. So I'm, I'm going to give you like 10, all 10. Ten very good quarterbacks. Yeah, right. Yeah, but what we don't have right now, I think the willingness to play rookies early mm-hmm. means what we don't have a lot of right now are teams playing mediocre veterans. Yeah. Like, there's not a lot – like, now that Andy Dalton is no longer the quarterback of the Bears, like, there's not a lot of guys around who are, like, you know, they're 30 and, they, you know <laughs> – there's a common idea for you, Mike. Requiem for Case Keenum. Requiem. Yeah. Oh, yes, no more Case Keenums. <laughs> yeah, there's no more like it was like back in the day when I was young, you know, Joe Ferguson would be still out there at 30, whatever. Um, and uh Greg Landry would be like 33 and still quarterbacking the Lions and had never had a winning season in 11 years. It doesn't happen anymore. Randomly, here's Gus Farrell with the Rams. Look, <laughs> <laughs> like, we're not in a situation where Bortles is on a team. I mean, Bortles isn't even on a team right now, let alone starting. Uh, uh, right? uh, he, he was he was like talking about Seattle, I heard. So yeah, Seattle brought him in to kick the tires because they that might happen. But, um, reminder, you're watching Football Outsiders Live. It's our live stream we do every day from one to two Eastern. So please make sure to subscribe in your favorite app where you're watching us right now. Brandon Roney says, how far back could DVOA theoretically go with regards to availability of play-by-play game books and data? I believe that this offseason we will have 1981 and 1982. I don't know how much farther back we can go. It gets, it gets handwritten at some point, doesn't it? Yeah, it gets pretty... <laughs> I, I know we're looking for a number of 1980 games. Jeremy Snyder is the guy who's been invaluable in doing the old play-by-play. That's awesome. And I know he's looking for a lot of 1980 stuff, but I believe we've got all of 81 and 82, and I believe I'm going to be doing it this offseason. So. Amazing. And 82 is a short strike short in season with the long playoffs. Yep, 82 will totally break the uh, parsers uh, <laughs> because it's a weird year, but yeah. I want to see some of these John Riggins years because it was just as because he was averaging 3.2 yards a carry and they were force feeding him and he was a superstar. And it was my youth. And I was like, 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 is, is this really good? Joe Washington would come off the bench and, and catch a, and do a swing pass for 15 yards. Like, is this real? I'd like to see if DR finds something in Riggins' number saying. If I, if I remember correctly, I'd have to bring it up on the computer right now, but Riggins' numbers with Washington are, are reasonable because. Right. He, it was a lot of Mike Allstotty, like third and two, right, three yard yeah. carries. Right, right, right. Um, I just want, I just want ice bowl DVOA. That's all. Just give me the ice bowl right. DVOA. Con- connected, by the way, to talking about the 81 82 Chargers and Dan Fouts, Kyle Lutz says, greater head coach to never win a Super Bowl, Don Coriel or Marty Schottenheimer? 
Schottenheimer. Coriel was the best innovative offensive mind, whatever. His teams underperformed. The Chargers teams were not great, despite all of that talent. His Cardinals teams were just also runs. They would have been forgotten if not for all the offensive things he did. Schottenheimer was routinely getting teams to 13 and 3, 14 and 2, and like really weak teams to like 10 and 6. I would agree with that. I think Coriel is the one who belongs in the Hall of Fame yes. because of what he meant as an innovator. Yes. But Schottenheimer was the better head coach. Yes. He, now there, the contributors are off to the side. I think Coriel is going to get in. Somebody's going to say contributor, not necessarily a head coach, where you're comparing him to Belichick, but where you're saying, what did you do for the game? Then he gets in. Uh, Jay Billings, does Fitzmagic get his job back when he's healthy? If not, are they going into next season as Heineke as their guy? <laughs> From what I've read, there is a good chance that they stick with Heineke. Heineke has been remarkably good considering that he bounced around like five different practice squads. He's got a positive passing DVOA this year. And despite the fact that he throws everything over his receivers' heads, I mean, I, I know, I know. The fact is, when you watch it, there's definitely overthrows, and he yeah. his DVOA is better than it would be because his receivers are good, like Terry right. McLaurin. Right. If I'm I, I, Washington, I don't go in with to next year with him as my guy, though. Oh, I yeah, know. I guess I guess the way I put it is, yeah, it's nice that he's there for sure, but but mm -hmm. is he going to be? The guy? Am I going to say that like January first? No, no, of course not. <laughs> the, the the problem is next year's rookie class of quarterbacks does not look good right now. No, it's horrible, and that, and that's an issue. So yeah, if you grade on the, we're going to roll with Heineke and we're going to grab a guy. I guess that makes sense because a lot of teams are going to be looking for a quarterback and and the cupboards bare. Uh, but like, is that? That's different from saying, is this a good solution? Is this a good plan? It, it's a plan. <laughs> and it's probably a, a good, like, well, based on the other options, this is our only plan plan. But I don't think that it's a good plan. In other words, I'd need to see Heineke do this for an entire season before I even entertained the idea that he's Tony Roma. Oh, he's not Tony Roma. He's Ryan Fitz. He's just young Ryan Fitz. And, he, you know. No, but I mean that he's an undrafted free agent who really right. did deserve a job right. and really does deserve to be a starting quarterback. Like let's see him do it for 17 games instead of, well, I guess 16 games instead of four, I was going to say 17 instead of five, but he didn't start the first one. Right. Right. Now, I mean, you know, I like the fact that he's got a lot, he can move quickly. He's got a very live arm. He does have a quick release and he, he, he throws it downfield. He's not one of these guys just checking down, checking down, checking down. I think he's got value in the NFL, but I, what I'm seeing right now, like the idea that this will be anything more than a stopgap starter, I would be, I would be stumped. Um, Kyle Lutz says, "Who was your favorite quarterback as a kid?" Rivers was going to say somebody so recent, I'm going to cry. Oh wait, was that Warren? It's all, it's all wobbly. It's sideways. I apologize, but yes, I'm trying to show you my Warren Moon. Uh... Frame jersey over here. Yes, that was yeah. my favorite quarterback as a kid. <laughs> okay. Let's see, number one. Yeah. Uh, my answer is that I didn't really pay as much attention to football as a kid as you might think. And I grew up a Rams fan in California when I was little. 
and no one knew who the quarterback was because all we cared about was Eric Dickerson. <laughs> so I don't really have an answer. <laughs> oh, you were not a Dieter Brock fan. No, I was not. Vince Ferragamo did not do it for me when I was 10 years old. Like, I didn't really become a hardcore football fan until I was like 22. So I didn't really have a favorite quarterback as a kid. Well, clearly here in Philadelphia, we worshipped Ron Jaworski. My Polish side of my family absolutely idolized Ron Jaworski. And I grew up thinking he was phenomenal. And he was phenomenal for a couple of years. He absolutely was. So he was my favorite quarterback. Also loved Brian Sipe a lot back in the day. Uh, also, uh, I was a big fan of, of Archie Manning back in the day and the rare times that they would be on the – and you always heard about Archie Manning, like what a great quarterback, but they never win a game. So he was sort of like this mysterious figure you saw once or twice a year. So I had a lot, but Jaworski, of course, nearest and dearest to my heart. I want to get to a couple of the questions that we got on Instagram before the show. Um, yes. Eric T. asked, is Cooper Cup's surprisingly low DYAR a glitch in the formula or are 15 wide receivers truly performing better than him? Well, I, you know, I always talk about that the stats are the stats are stats and they're useful, but they're not absolutely the definition of value. Right. Just like what right. I said about Brady, like when you consider who Brady's teammates are, he may have the most passing DYAR, but I don't think he's the most valuable player. The fact that Cooper Cup is 16th in receiving DYAR doesn't necessarily mean he's the 16th best receiver this year. But right. the reason for uh, Eric T asking is third downs. He's yeah. at minus 25%. He's only converted five of 13 passes on third downs. So that's actually why yeah. Coop is lower than you would expect. I actually went and looked up the splits on that. And third down and between four and nine yards. So let's say call that third and medium. Two catches on eight targets, no first downs. Two catches on eight targets, no first downs on third and medium. Third and 10, he's three and three, which is phenomenal. But that's like the ghost in the machine there, that DVOIDR or spotting that you and I watching games and, oh, big play, big play, might not sing. Something he's doing that isn't optimal that some of these other guys have a better percentage on. Right, which and it's not necessarily, you know, it's the whole offense when he's the intended receiver. I, yeah. I have to go back and actually watch those plays to see, was he just covered well or did he drop the ball or right. was it actually thrown away and he shouldn't have gotten a target in the first place, you know, but that's the reason. If you want to know the reason why he's lower in DYAR, that's I would, the reason. I would also say as somebody who has used DYAR for a long time now, uh, the fact that Cup has 56 targets and it's yeah. second in the league, basically, that, that also weighs against him a lot. It's, it's a lot easier to find bad passes when you have less throws thrown at you. Yeah, yeah. The uh, that's then that's exactly it. Like a lot of the balls that are hopeless balls go to him because he's the go-to guy, and that's typical for a, a number one receiver. Woo, that's uh, a long comment. Jay Billings, yeah, I'm going to skip that for now. Jay <laughs> Billings asked, "Have you ever seen a statistically dominant team like Buffalo have a variance as poor as theirs?" And I said I was going to answer this on my on the show. The reason why Buffalo has a ridiculously high variance is high variance is not necessarily poor. It's because they've had one bad game and one game that was one of the greatest we've ever measured. And when you look at the distance between those two games, you're going to have a really, really high variance. Right. It doesn't mean the Bills. It doesn't say anything bad about the Bills. It's just they've had they had one loss and then they had the one really incredible game. 
Right. Scott DeBrestian asked, we had a lot of variance questions. A lot of variance. If you are a borderline playoff team, is it better to have high variance or low variance? And I would think the answer is if you're a borderline playoff team, it's better to have high variance yeah. because you want to get to the playoffs and suddenly have four really good games. Right. Not have four kind of, you know, good but not great games. Not start any home. <laughs> right. That will get you that will get you kicked out of the playoffs. Right. Right. I would agree. That, that was going to be my answer exactly. Yeah. Um, the other variance question was from Jake Murray. Is high variance the defining characteristic of the Chiefs? And is that catching up with them as the sample size keeps growing? I don't think the Chiefs are that high variance. They're actually only 17th in variance yeah. this year. Uh, I mean, I think their offense is good almost every game, although obviously it has struggles against Buffalo. And their defense is terrible pretty much every game. That's right. consistent. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, it's not so much variance as sort of a explosive, like a reliance and, and a weakness for explosive plays that make their games look unpredictable. But yet, when you look at the game as a whole, it's like, oh, that was another Chiefs game, and he, they either won because they got a bunch of touchdown plays, or they gave up too many play, big plays and lost. The Chiefs were um, second were, were second lowest in variance in 2020, by the way. That up. Oh, wow. The Chiefs were second lowest. Right. So they're not a high variance team. I think it's the idea of variance from play to play versus yeah. variance from game to game yeah. are, are two very different things. And the, what we call variance is from game to game. The Chiefs are actually pretty consistent. Uh, Ryan Crinigan says Colts Homer here. Peyton was and is my fave. Can anyone succeed in that kind of offense again with very few formations, very little motion, receivers in the same spots, and so on? Yeah, they can. But Tom Brady does something broadly similar right now. So there's not a lot of motion in that offense. You don't create, you know, you create that offense based on what Brady wants. So if he wants his guys relatively static with maybe one guy moving across the formation to dictate the, the, the coverage, you get it and he picks them apart. I think any quarterback that achieves that level can win with that kind of offense. To a degree, even the uh, the Rams are doing that now. There's a lot less motion in McVay's offense than there was a year or two ago. He's spreading everybody out, let Stafford go, and Stafford's calling the plays now instead of everything getting dictated to Goff. Listen, if you get a good enough quarterback, you can run the offense you want. Right. Uh, da Dallas kind of does uh, something similar to this, I kind of feel like, where they, they just have you know Dalton Schultz going off because right. teams can't afford to cover him right now. And they have too many good players, and Prescott's playing too well. So, so yeah, yeah if, if they wanted to do that and then just not do motion, they'd be fine. Prescott's playing at a, such a high elevated level, it doesn't really matter that much. Right. I and, mean, I guess okay. the Rams don't do a lot of formations. They right. certainly don't do a lot of personnel differences. It, it's not quite like it was three or four years ago when it was literally 11 personnel on every freaking play. Right. But they don't do a lot of – personnel variation uh and occasionally they'll put guys in the backfield mm -hmm. uh what they do have is a lot of uh, the rams do have motion yeah yeah it's still, it's still if you look at it now it's less than it was a couple of years ago um and that whole idea that you're going to keep limit your formations and limit your personnel groupings that so your quarterback can come to the line and make decisions there they've got a palette of plays that they're comfortable with and they don't want to have to move everybody all over creation for it and that's a hallmark of your brady's your mannings i guess your stafford's now to a degree and some of those other veteran quarterbacks who are making more decisions on the line. Um, on Instagram before the show, Home Team 93 asked, who will be offensive rookie of the year? Mm. 
So I thought this was also something you discussed and walked through today. So I thought we'd talk a little bit about rookie of the year odds. Um, Jamar Chase is currently the number one at plus 375. Mac Jones at plus 400. Justin Fields, 700. Trevor Lawrence, 800. Trey Lance, 850. Those are your top five offensive rookie of the year candidates, according to the uh, books in Vegas. Yeah, they, they won't put Najee Harris up there. I'm still... He's sixth. He's at plus fourteen hundred at this. That's point. that's juice worth the squeeze. It all, you know, you have a couple more games where they they win, and he winds up at the end with thirteen hundred yards. He could just outlast everybody for that. I know he has an injury right now, and I haven't checked on that for this week. But yeah, I, I mean, Chase is phenomenal. I don't see it at plus three fifty when you're doing a betting side of things. And both mm -hmm. Jones and Fields, I still I still look at Fields and say he has a hot streak, wins a couple games. In a, in a flashy way, in a way that has, is big play oriented, as opposed to Mac Jones being poised. Um, and that could sway the voters as, as you get closer to November. What about yeah, Davis Mills? <laughs> no. Davis <laughs> Mills not listed with odds. Stunning. <laughs> Stunning. Uh, I think Chase is going to win the award. I, I think that's, I mean, just basic logic looking at how well he's played so far, uh, how good the, the Bengals. Would be without him, it, it, you know. I think they would lose a lot of juice. Right. Um, but but as far as like the best gamble on that board, probably Fields, because as Mike said, he does have enough ability to you know play this kind of slow slow mo offense, uh, do some flashy stuff, and, and get some grind out some wins against some some slightly better teams. Right. I do like think Fields is a better candidate than I like Fields at plus seven hundred better than I like Jones at plus four hundred. But would you vote for him? If you were a voter, um, I wonder <laughs> if there are other voters that would vote for Rashawn Slater. Well, he's not listed here, by the way. We he's talked not about the odds. We, I could look him up, but we talked about it a couple weeks ago. There are occasional voters. Quentin Nelson got some votes, um, but I think what we pointed out is the vote votes always wind up with the guard or the center because not the it's tackle, the tackle who has one bad game, gives up a couple sacks, it trends on Twitter, and they go. Whoa, so, yeah. yeah, that's an interesting. What I'm seeing on Twitter is a lot of him versus Miles Garrett and how good he was against Miles Garrett. But right. you're right; it's not the good games that trend on; it's the bad games for the tackles. Right. He has been playing real well. Uh, defensive Rookie of the Year, Micah Parsons is your best bet at 325. Well, he, yeah, was he my best bet? He's a, he's a favorite. Uh, Patrick Sertain, 500. Mm -hmm. Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa, 800. Yeah. Jemin Davis, 1,000. And Asante Samuel, 1,000. Uh, and then Gregory Rousseau and Odafe Owe at 1,400. Ooh. You could talk I would like, oh, I'll take Owe at 1,400 if I have to make a bet. But yeah. I think that Parsons is the favorite. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a storyline type of thing, especially defensive player of the year. Uh, where a linebacker who's been flying around on a well-known team and is famous and was famous in college is going to have an inside track to that. You could talk me into Russo, though. Maybe it's because of that interception the other night. But you could, yeah, a couple other big plays for the Bills, and he could he could rise into the conversation. I think the only other guy who stands out to me as far as uh, telling the story, as, as you say, Mike, yes. uh, if Asante Samuel starts picking off passes left and right, I think that's someone who could jump up and win that award. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, Nirm says, what team finishes last in the AFC North? 
Steelers. Steelers. Yeah, I think the Steelers are the best bet. Shout out to my fellow FF4 runner. <laughs> <laughs> is that who that is? Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I actually kind of like the Steelers and all, but I, I watched Pittsburgh, the Pittsburgh fan base talk themselves into Ben Roethlisberger is fine this week after, <laughs> after last week because he didn't actively humiliate himself for, for 60 minutes. And I have a feeling that the team could be doing that as well. They just lost Juju. I, I lost track of Devin Bush's health status, but they're starting. You know, if you start losing guys on that defense and you start losing weapons, I don't know what you're going to do if you're the Steelers. And I think the Bengals have enough assets that they're going to still hover around, at least hover around 500, if not over 500. Uh, Kyle Lutz had one more question, and I'll see how much I can answer. Why uh, the 99 Rams offense not adjusted VOA is so low? Uh, that's the Warren oh. Falk, good line, Holt, Bruce. Uh, yeah, so uh, hmm. famously, the 1999 Rams had the easiest schedule we've ever measured. Okay. But even before you adjust for schedule, their offense is not in the top 50 of all time. Uh, I would have to go and look a lot closer than I can while we're in the middle of a live stream. Mm -hmm. uh, I will say the running game doesn't come out as good as it did in other Marshall Falk years. Hmm. So that's one thing. I think some of it might be that we uh, limit deep passes. Uh, right. In other words, like a 40-yard pass is not twice as valuable as a 20-yard pass, and an 80-yard pass is not twice as valuable as a 40-yard pass. It's not limited as much as you might think, but that might be a little bit of it because the other team – that comes out surprisingly low in offensive DVOA is the 98 Vikings. Okay. Which also was like very dependent on a lot of like really good deep shots. Hmm. Um, I don't know otherwise why their offense, some of it also might be field position because the 99 Rams were third on defense. Right. Right. So they were good on both sides of the ball. So the defense may have been putting the offense in a good position to succeed. So the offensive rating is not high enough. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's weird. The 99 Rams, when you adjust for the opponent, they end up only fourth in offense for that year. I mean, they're the number one team overall for that right. year, but they're only fourth on offense and then third on defense. It's great that the, the statistics preserve something that, because, you know, as our memories go away, it's greatest show on turf, bunch of Hall of Famers, great offense and it was a very very good offense obviously but we're forgetting a nuance because i've forgotten that that defense was incredibly strong and that that's right and, and part of the forgetting is that the rams defense was very weird because it was really really good in 99 yes and then terrible in 2000 right and then really really good again in 2001 in fact yeah. 2000 the rams offense is better in 2000 much better actually by our numbers mm -hmm. than it was in 1999, mm. but their defense was so much worse that the overall team was worse. Hmm. Lovey um, saved them in 2001. Is that, was that Lovey's first year? as the was Lovey's first year in Yep, yep. Yeah, because then they're the number one defense of 2001. They went from third to 26th to first. Wow, wow. And look at Lovey now with the best beard possibly <laughs> in America. And the worst talent. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the long comment on the side, by the way, was Bill Houston asking uh, if any Texans team member has ever tried to slip you a note, Rivers, to get traded or send help when you were at Texans facilities. 
No, that's never happened. No. Um, <laughs> you, 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 the best you could hope for is like a passive aggressive thing, like like you know somebody liking a tweet that said like I wonder why this guy didn't get to play or something like that. Like that's like you that, said, that's about there's the all indications that they've bought in. Like they they're not. This is well, not Jacksonville. They are not like you have to remember they turn, they turn over the roster entirely. And so there are still some players here from last year who are struggling to fit the system, so to speak. Laramie. Uh, Zach Cunningham got uh, demoted, yeah, as you as you right. retweeted, Aaron. Um, yeah. Charles Arnetta, who was a surprise and active. But, like, the guys from the 2000 team uh, are, are running into this new culture, and sometimes it's not working out. Yeah, they gave all that money to Cunningham, and now he's their third linebacker. <laughs> not doesn't seem why. You see um, it. You see it. <laughs> one last question. Bill Houston, does Dan Sorensen have blackmail material on Spagnolo? And that is why Juan Thornhill is not being played. I don't have the snap count data in front of me. Yeah. Seth Kaiser, who's an expert on the Chiefs, was tweeting about this. Yeah. Sorensen generally plays in dime. So right. when Sorensen's on the field, Thornhill's on the field too. It's not that Sorensen is playing instead of Thornhill. It's that Sorensen's just sucks. And we see Sorensen in deep coverage and in the open field because teams are looking for him. So we're seeing him when he when he's covering somebody or when that's his zone. That's where the that's where the ball's headed. Right. He yeah. He's played as a hybrid strong safety linebacker, but he ends up in deep coverage sometimes. Yeah. And that's terrible. Yeah. Right. And teams find ways to do it. I mean, they find ways to do it with Jamal Adams, who's a better player. But it's like, oh, that's the guy who wants to stay in the box. Look, get him out of there. We had a guy in Philly here, Nate uh, Nate Geary. Yeah, he's more yeah. of a linebacker. but He was more Nate of a Geary. linebacker, but, man, they would find a way to get him isolated on the slot guy, get him on the fast tight end, get him going deep because that's where the weakness was. Wow, uh, Nate Geary. We are remembering some guys here. Uh, Mike, do you have any, do you have any James, James Frash opinions? I got some Mike Mamula opinions if you stick there around. There we go, Mike um, Mamula. <laughs> it was really incredible in Seattle last week that Aikman on Thursday night, uh, that he he even Aikman picked out, oh my God, they're just going to pass to whoever Jamal Adams yeah. is covering every play. Yeah. Aikman, who usually is so polite about not really singling a dude out. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if it's a, a, a quality player who will usually spill the story around. I think yeah. I think Aikman gets a little feisty on Thursdays. I remember watching the uh, the Panthers Texans one and he was just like, Sam, don't miss this throw. And yeah. Sam, don't miss this throw. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. I'm like, what's going on? You never go after and, – and Donald's enough of a veteran quarterback that you don't go after him necessarily. Yeah, and, and Aikman was displeased with Sam Donald. All right, that's going to do it for the show. Thank you, everybody, for watching. We uh, really appreciate uh, you tuning in to the live stream, whether you're watching us on YouTube or Twitch or Twitter. Uh, we really appreciate all the questions. It's awesome. Remember to subscribe. Check us out every day, 1 p.m. Eastern. Rivers, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. One last thing. Uh, we had that long I had that long list of quarterbacks. Uh, I should have put Josh Allen in it. He's 13th in yes. DR. I didn't see it. But, yeah, anyway, I just want to make sure I said that because our Bills fans always get very upset. Yes, <laughs> I would put Josh Allen in that list at this point, definitely, yeah. even though he's not. he hasn't been as good this year as he was last year. Uh, Mike Tanier and I will be back tomorrow at 1 p.m. Tom Gower is joining us, and we will be doing week six preview and talking about the biggest games of week six. So please come back tomorrow at 1 p.m. Eastern and check that out. 
So that's all for Football Outsiders Live. Thank you for watching, for listening later on your favorite podcast app, and check us out tomorrow. And everybody have a good night.